Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I was, uh, I was enjoying worship. I got lost back there. All right, Isaiah chapter 61. You need to get there. All right, that's right. Y'all have a good day? Good small groups last night? Yes. Good discussion. Listen, <laughs> it was all right. I mean, you know, it wasn't all that. Listen, you need to take advantage of this, all right? Take advantage of this. I'm telling you, it's going to go by like that. We're going to find ourselves here on Thursday night. I'm just going to give you a taste. Thursday night, it's going to be crazy. That scene that you were just in, it's going to be insane. It's going to be hype. You're going to be singing like never before, and you're going to be like, dude, what's up? I'm telling you, every time I go or experience camp, that's what happens. Because you've gotten away from your norm, you've gotten away from, away from your rhythm of life, your normal rhythms of life, and you've gotten into this, in a sense, bubble at, at RVR, here in the OTM, and everything, and you're just like, man, Jesus is cool, Jesus is awesome, and the pressures of school, and the pressures of the phone, and the pressures of, it's like the distractions are gone. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Distractions are gone, yes, and there's just something that happens, I'm telling you. I've had hundreds of conversations with teenagers on a bus driving back to our normal rhythm of life. And I say, what God do in your life? And students are just pouring out their hearts and they're saying things. And I hear student after student, student after student, I'm scared to go home. Why? My dad doesn't live the way we did at camp. My mom doesn't talk the way that I did at camp. My brothers, my sisters, my friends at school, my circle, they just don't get the RVR song. Can you imagine if I sang the RVR song in homeroom? I mean, come on. Some of y'all were just complaining in the back of the room because we didn't sing the RVR song tonight. I just heard it. You know what I'm saying? It's annoying. Come on, man. What you doing here? <laughs> you can't diss the RVR song. You know what I'm saying? You can't diss that. So here's my point. Here's my point. It's Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? No, it's Monday. It's Monday. Dude, I just gave y'all an extra day. You know what I'm saying? It's Monday. Take advantage of it. All right? Isaiah chapter 61. Let's read this passage once again, 1 through 4. We're going to read it every night together because I don't think you can read the word of God enough. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. We talked about that last night because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, where we land tonight, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, what the week's all about the oil of joy instead of mourning. I believe there's some of you in the room who are looking for joy. Just going to tell you. And the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let's pray. God, what do you want to say tonight as it relates to setting captives free. We just read in your word that you 
desire that you came to give freedom to those who are captive. I don't believe that these students in this room are any unique or any different than students I hang out with on a regular basis. And so therefore, there are students in this room who, are, who feel captive to some form of darkness. There's, a, there's an area of someone's life tonight where the enemy says that's ash and it'll never be anything else. God, would you break the chains of lies in our hearts, in our minds tonight? Would you speak and have your way? Would your presence be so among us tonight? Holy Spirit, I pray that, that we would say yes to you and your desire to lift high and illuminate the name of Jesus. There's no other name like him. And so would you give us that freedom tonight as we hear truth and it sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So freedom for the captives. Everybody say the word captive. I want you to write that word down. Those of you that are taking notes, awesome, good job. A short pencil is better than a long memory any day. Just saying. Captive. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about the word captive? Somebody said it. What you got? What? One more time. A leader. No, captive. Like a prisoner. Okay. Yes. Captured. Anybody else? Chains. That's good. Taken. Trapped. Ooh, that's a good one. Held back. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of imagery. You're going to answer that question later tonight in small groups. What does that mean for you to be, to feel suppressed under the rule of? When I think of that word, my mind immediately goes to, to a circumstance revolving around a young woman and a man in October of 2012 in a place called Somalia. You see, Jessica Buchanan, here's her picture from 60 Minutes. They'll put it up here in a second. Jessica Buchanan, pretty young woman whose book, Against the Odds, says that she grew up in a Christian home. I do not know if Jessica Buchanan is a Christian or not. I'm telling you what she said in her book. She doesn't say it on 60 Minutes. But she is working for an NGO, which is a non-governmental organization in Somalia, to give aid, understanding, help, instruction to children in Somalia as to how to find landmines. An entire organization revolves on the farthest eastern place in Africa that you can go in a lawless war zone called Somalia to children how to locate, find, avoid landmines. Because apparently there's an entire generation of amputees in Somalia. And so Jessica Buchanan has this desire to help, 
to give aid to children. I think there's a picture of the children. Maybe they're drinking. Yeah, there you go. Here's Somalian children that broke her heart. I have to go and do something about it. So she gets trained, and she was a teacher in Africa, and then God led her to this. Two years earlier, she married her sweetheart, her sweetheart on the shores of Africa. His name is Eric. She's got another mission to specifically go what's called near the green zone. A green zone is an imaginary line that is one side it's safe, but the other side across the tracks, across that street, in that hood, in that area, there's Islamic radicals, a.k.a. bandits, who do not obey the law, and it is dangerous. And what has happened to people who mess with them or they mess with, they're usually somewhere between their shoulders and their chin cut off, beheaded. So her husband, not too happy that she's going to be near the green zone on this next mission, they have a long conversation, and she says, I have to go. I got to do this. He says, yes, she hops a flight, gets near this compound that's near the green zone. They get their briefing. They're traveling. Her NGO says it's going to be safe because they're traveling in a three-car motorcade. Right before the motorcade pulls up that day in October of 2011, she sends her husband a text. Hey, just wondering, if I get kidnapped, will you come find me? He texts back, ha, 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 not funny. Be smart. Follow your instincts. Come home. Love you. Normal, routine, mission as normal as the motorcade leaves, at least for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. They got outside the compound. Car immediately pulls up, slams up against them. Mud is thrown on the windshield of her vehicle. She's in the back right corner of the motorcade car. Guns. She sees AK-47s. They're pounding now on the car windows, and they're banging, and they're banging, and the car's rocking, and, and she's just like freaking out, and everybody starts talking in Somali language that she doesn't understand, and she doesn't understand what's happening, and she goes immediately, the two passenger doors in the back seat fling open, and AK-47s point inside. The driver's door is opened. He is yanked from his seatbelt, thrown out on the ground. It sounds like he's being beaten. A tall, six-foot man hops in the seat between her and her organization partner. His name is Paul, a Dutch, 61 years old. She's 32. Points an AK-47 at her and says, mobile, 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 mobile. She hands him her phone. Her name is Jessica, but she's been trained to change her name so that nobody knows. She becomes Alice in that moment. New driver hops in. They speed off. They drive for what seemed like hours. She's hanging on to the handle above her as hard as she can, her head smashing against the glass as the car is driving out of control into the desert of Somalia. Car comes to an abrupt stop. They say, get out. 
her and Paul get out. AK-47s all pointed at them, and they say, walk. That, that walk language where they don't really speak English. It's some Somali language, and they don't understand necessarily what you're saying, but they know this one word, a few English words, and it's walk. Thinking they're going to immediately be shot in the back, they start walking. The men with the guns start walking with them. They walk forever, she says. Eventually, they say, stop. Get on your knees. Not knowing if they're going to shoot, if she's going to be raped, she doesn't know. Then finally, somebody says, sleep. She recalls sitting there on her knees thinking, huh? Looking over her shoulder, they yell again, sleep. Completely exhausted from the emotion of everything that's happened, they collapse on the desert floor somewhere in Somalia, and they sleep through the night. Crazy. She wakes up to find the captain of this bandit crew who tells them of their intentions. You're not going to rape? You're not going to kill us? What do you want? Money. So I'm a package for you to the tune of $45 million. We'll see what your country will do. How long will we be here? Don't know. Thus began one week. One week turned into two weeks. Two weeks turned into three weeks of their life in the desert of Somalia under some sort of a bush. Now, if I say bush, you think of something in front of your house. If I say tree, you think of something that, that you might see around here. If I say, if you've never been to a third world country, things look different. So think bush, tree, just a little taller. But enough where you could get underneath it for some shade is where they lived. Day in and day out. Her and Paul developed nicknames. For the people around them, the soldiers that would come in and out and change hands every day and every night. And they're all the while eating this, this plant called cot, which has the effect of speed on the body, which hypes them up and just gets them all amped. And then, of course, when you come off of a drug, there's, there's anger, there's depression, there's anxiety, there's all kinds of stuff that floods them, and they get real irritable. And so there was just this crazy roller coaster of emotions with her captors. They would change in and out. Every night. The guy they called the helper who showed up about once a week in the car, timid looking guy, about six foot, but somewhat gentle, who seemed to obey the orders of the rest of the madmen. His name was Dahir. They eventually had conversations with him as he would bring provisions for them, which meant one can of tuna fish, a little bit of water, and a small piece of bread every day. That's it. She's losing weight. Paul's losing weight. She eventually starts to get sick. She doesn't know why. She feels as though she's got some sort of a kidney infection. Extreme abdominal pain. And now she's got a fever. 
she tells her captors that she's getting sick. They allow her to make a video in the Somali desert, which goes back to her NGO, which goes to another NGO, which eventually makes its way to the FBI, eventually to the Oval Office, where the President of the United States in 2011 sits with a team of people and figure out what to do. Here's a picture of that video. There's Jessica. The video made its way. Somebody at that meeting, somebody at that table said, in two weeks, there will be a new moon over the Somalian desert. You know what that means? Complete black. No darkness. I mean, no light. No moonlight whatsoever. It'll be perfect for a rescue attempt. All other attempts from the United States through NGO offices to try and get provisions to some taxi driver who might be crazy enough to know where their location is and get out there. They have all failed. Nothing has made its way to the Americans. She describes in chapter 26 of her book of what began that night of extreme abdominal pain, fever. She's lying on the mat that they provided for her out in the open because at night, no matter the conditions, they had to move from out underneath the tree, the bush, out into the open desert where nine soldiers slept around them. Rainy season came and went, rained every night. Cold rained every night, she said. She had this little tiny thin piece of material like a blanket and she would hang onto it like some sort of a security blanket. But on this night, Ink jet black is how she described the sky. Ink jet black. Pain so strong. The cot, drug, whatever that they, had, that they were on, they had all crashed and they were sleeping. They had instructed her if she ever had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night to stand up on her mat and yell, toilet, 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 hey, toilet. Nobody moved for some reason that night. She began to think, hmm, I wonder if I could get out of here. I wonder how far I could run into the Somali desert before they would see. I wonder how far my body would actually allow me to go before I would collapse from dehydration, from, from this fever, from this pain. She's thinking about waking up Paul. And she's wondering if Dahir would even notice or if he would be somewhat sympathetic if she was to get away and he would let her go. All these thoughts are running through her mind, and she thought, that's crazy. I'll never get out of here with the condition I'm in. So she grabs her little pen light that they instructed her to flash while she yelled, toilet, toilet. Nobody, nobody woke. So she steps off her mat yelling, toilet, toilet, clicking the light so that they would see, I'm going to the toilet. So when they woke up, if somebody woke up, she wouldn't get shot. She goes to the bush, takes care of business, comes back, toilet, toilet, toilet lays down on her mat, curls up. She said the night was ink jet black. She began to hear what seemed like scratching noises or bugs that were extremely loud for some reason than the normal air. Little did she know that some point in the middle of that night that SEAL Team 6 was flying thousands of feet above her 
and was preparing to skydive silently to her location. She's laying on her mat, thinking about her mom who had died from influenza, the flu. Some pain, some struggle internal with her mom. Now here she is in some Somalian desert after 93 days of being held captive, thinking, I'm going to die tonight. Saying, God, would you somehow give me the strength that my mother had when she died? She hears this, this, scratching on something hard. She stands up on her mat, turns on her pen light, and actually looks around as if it's going to provide some form of light for her in this inkjet black night. Nothing. Lays back down, pulls her blanket back over her thin piece of material as if it's going to provide some warmth of shelter. Tries to fall asleep when Dahir rises to his knees and is looking. He slowly reaches for his AK-47. He's holding it. She's watching him. He rises to his feet, says, African? Cox is AK-47. African? At this point, other soldiers are awakened. They grab their guns. They cock. One last time. African! She says, in an instant, Armageddon happened. Sounds of bullets within inches of her body were whizzing by her. It was an immediate warfare fight that opened up all around her. She said, I tried to sink as fast as I could into the desert floor, pulling the blanket over my head, and all I could say was, oh God, oh God, oh God. Flashes of light. She said, I peeked through my blanket one last time. I could see Dahir's face. It's a couple flashes. And she said, what I saw, I will never forget. It was the fear of a man who realized he would never see one of his eight children ever again. She said, I heard gasping. I heard men crying. Then I began to feel strong hands grabbing at my feet. I began screaming and kicking back. Finally, I heard, Jessica. She said it, was, it broke through all forms of noise. It was a sound I hadn't heard in months. It was, a, it was a voice. It was a tone. It was a language that I recognized. It was American. And I had heard my name for the first time in a long time. Because remember, she changed her name to what? Alice. Nobody in that scene knew her name. She hears Jessica. They yanked the blanket off of her. A man in black with black apparatus on her face, on his face. All she could see was black, says, Jessica, we are the American military. We are here to take you home. You are safe. 
in an instant with extreme gentleness, yet with quick, rapid response. I was in his arms, and he was running with me through the desert like something that he had trained for his entire life. She said, I heard the sounds of other soldiers around us running beside us. She said, then someone said, get down. I was gently laid down. Soldiers laid on top of me. They draped their body on top of me and said, be still. Be still. She said, around me, I could see men on their knees with their weapons into the darkness. Within seconds. Helicopter lands. She's in a helicopter, and she is on her way out. Just like that. Freedom for the captains. Freedom for the captains. Now, you go, dude, dude, I ain't never been in anything like that. Your name's not Jessica Buchanan. Your name's not Paul from some Dutch place. But how does this text apply to you tonight? That's Jessica Buchanan's story of being rescued from darkness. Go to that text. This text of freedom for the captives. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim Freedom for the captives and release from what, students? Darkness. Release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Are you in darkness tonight? Anybody feel like they're held captive in any way, shape, or form? You know how many students I meet? How many guys who really want to get God honest with me and go, dude, Johnji, I can't break it. I can't stop. It's too easy. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they, they fight this. I don't know how they get over this sin. Maybe it's something internal. Maybe it's something that you don't feel like you have any control over whatsoever, like depression, anxiety. Maybe it's something inside your mind and it just doesn't stop. I, I'm, I'm held captive to this. Now, more than ever in any generation in history, we are seeing, sensing, experiencing darkness with people. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to what? Destroy. But Jesus says, listen, listen, I've come to give you life. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to set the captives free. Look at this passage in Colossians. Check this out. I think it's on your screen. Colossians chapter 1. Look at this. He is the image of the... No, no, back up. Uh, it's verse 13. One thirteen. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness... He, God, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. 
It's what God's done for you. He has come to set the captives free. So, do you feel free tonight? Are you? Deep inside, do you go, I'm free? Or is there something within you that goes, mm, man, John G., I get it, man, but dude, you just don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what's going on in my house. You don't know what's going on in my school. You don't know what I've done. And, and man, I, I just think, man, Paul had that, like, that flesh thing, right, that like, he just had to deal with, right? So I just think this is just going to have to be my, my, that I'm just going to have to deal with the rest of my life. Listen, students, that is a bucket of slop straight from hell. Jesus came to die on the cross that you and I could have victory over sin and death, but only by him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, not, not just a couple things, not just a little things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The question is, and the problem is, is that most of us don't run to Jesus. We run to our friends. We run to InstaFace. We run to all this other stuff that wasn't dyslexic. That was intentional. Listen, we run to all this stuff before we go, okay, I guess I'll give Jesus a shot. I guess I'll, I guess I'll give Jesus a try. God's going, listen, I gave you my son. You know what? It's not going to be on the screen because I didn't turn this one in. Romans 8, look at this. Just listen. Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? Don't you dare say, well, this is just something i got to deal with the rest of my life. That's giving Satan more power than he has in your life. Don't say that. Don't say that. What can we say? If God's for us, who can be against us? And then look at it. Look at what verse 32 says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with gracious, with a gracious attitude, give us all things? God who did not spare his own son for you. Hey, go to that picture of my family. I think it's in the beginning of the slides. This is my crew. This is my jam right here. All right? Let, let's say that somebody comes to me and says, hey, um, I'll, let's go with your son. Let's go with the, with the dude on the right there, that strapping young man. Let's go with Tabor. Can I, have, can I borrow him for just a little bit? Uh, I'm like, all right, I, I guess. Like, what do you, I just need him for something. I just need to borrow him. I'll give him back. Okay, like, what are you thinking? Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, like, tomorrow afternoon around 3 o'clock? Um, I mean, sure, I can check with him. I can, I can check with his schedule. What do you want to do? Uh, I want to sacrifice him. Uh, <laughs> what would you say? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. You want to do what? Yeah, I want to sacrifice him. Um, okay. Before I pull Chester, a.k.a. my Glock 43, which is usually on my right hip, but out and take care of you, uh, can I ask you what you, yeah, see, I want him to take care of somebody else's business. H huh? You, you want to, you want to take my son. You said you was going to give him back to me. I, I am. I am. I'm, I'm going to give him back to you. I didn't say I was going to give him back to you alive. I'm going to give him back to you. I'm going to sacrifice him. But what I also need you to understand, before I sacrifice him, I'm going to torture him to death. 
I'm going to do it publicly. I'm going to have people spit on him. I'm going to let people punch him. I'm going to have people pull his hair out. I'm going to shove some stuff into his skull. To really check and find out if he's really dead, I'm going to shove a spear through his side. See what pours out. Okay. God, who did not spare his own son for you. He gave him to you. And, and you'll sit here, and in your rationale, you will think, okay, I get it. All right, it was a long time ago, and I've seen, you know, the Mel Gibson, the Passion, and, man, it was really gruesome. And, I mean, I, I hear this stuff, but I just don't know that God can help me with my anxiety. I just don't know that God can help me with my porn problem. I just don't know that God can help me with my tongue, with my language. I just don't know that God can really help me with my relationship with my mom or my relationship with my dad. I just don't know that God can help me. Listen, students, I want you to just follow this logic for a second. Let's go back to that person who says they're going to sacrifice. If I was the kind of guy that was like, okay, sure, you can have Tabor. You can sacrifice my son because of what somebody else did. And then they go, hey, can I have his basketball shoes? How about, how about that Nike backpack? Can I have that too? Can I have his trophies and his favorite ball? Can I have that, the one that, you know, the point guard ball that he won the game with? Can I have that? If I'm going to give you my son, I'm going to give you his stuff. Y'all with me? We serve a God who gave us his son, who died your place on the cross to set the captives free, and then you have the audacity to think he can't help you with an addiction. You have the, you have the, the, the ignorance to go, oh, this is just something I got to deal with the rest of my life. And God is going, listen, I love you. I gave him for you. What else do you need? You have not, students, because you ask not. Stop running to InstaFace. Stop running to everything on the planet outside of the God who loves you and gave his son for you. Are we getting real? Are we getting real? Listen, God did not spare his own son. How much more then will he not give us? I don't want to be the guy who gets to glory one day and God says, hey, come here, bro. I want to show you something. Hey, come here. Come here. Come on back up here. I want to show you something. Come here. And, and, he, and he has me open up a closet. And I look in there and go, dude, what, huh? That was. And God goes, all that was for you. I wanted to give that to you. Remember when you were in need? I had it. It was ready. I love you. But you never asked. You never came to me. You didn't get serious about finding me. The Bible says that if you seek me, you will find me. But you didn't come looking. You put your trust in so many other things. Students, God loves you. He loves you. And he came to set the captives free. What does the Bible say? From darkness. You want to know what I know about darkness and the kingdom of evil? All that's necessary, students, all that's necessary for the kingdom of evil to thrive and survive is lies, secrets, and darkness. 
That's all that's necessary. Lies, secrets, and darkness. Satan wants you to keep everything way over here in the dark. I got this. I got this. This is, it's okay. Uh, I, I mean, I hear what the preacher's saying, but, dude, if my parents ever found out, if, 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 man, I, I could never share this. People would think I'm an absolute fool, and, and Satan's going, that's right, that's right. They're going to think you're an idiot. That's right, shut your mouth. You just keep this. You're, you're going to get this. You can beat this. You just, you, just, you just hang on. Man, you're a strong person. You just keep this, and he will keep you in that corner. But the Bible says the person who confesses their sins, they find mercy. The one who runs to the middle, the one who runs and brings it out in the light and says, this is my sin. I can't do it anymore. That's when the Holy Spirit of God goes, oh, now we're in. Now I'm in. Now I'm here. Now we can rescue. You know what the Bible says in James chapter 4? It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Like a Navy SEAL jumping out of a plane, he comes in, not stealth, because he did it publicly. He comes in, he knows your name, he's got your hairs on your head counted, and he says, I love you. And he comes and he scoops you up. And he rescues. He pulls you from darkness. Students, I'm telling you, it, it's an invitation away for you. It's a conversation tonight in small group going, hey, this is me. This is where I'm captive. This is where I'm captive. It's a roundhouse kick to Satan's teeth when you just go, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. Jesus, help me. I'm telling you, what you're going to experience is a flood of God's grace that he lavishes upon you. But God opposes the proud. Let me know how that works. I love you. I, I, I want to come and I want to I bum rush that sin. But I can't do that if you're going to be proud. If you're going to go, I got this. I got this. It's up to you. He came to set the captives free. Let's pray. How many of you want to get serious and honest with me? No one's looking around. Man, Johnji, I needed, I needed to hear that tonight. I needed that. I needed to be reminded that Jesus is real, that he died for me, that he has all power, and he can set me free from this darkness. How many of you just want to be honest? Just raise your hand and go, that's me, John. Yeah, I needed to hear that tonight. There's one, two, boom, everywhere, everywhere. No one's immune. Thank you. Thank you. God, I pray for each of these students, for each of the hands, for those that are, that are contemplating, rather or not, they should have raised their hands or not. God, would you just break through our coolness? Would you break through our attitudes? Would you just break through the walls of defense that we think we've put up against you? Man, if you are for us, who can be against us? God, would you radically rescue us tonight by your word, by the truth of it?
set us free from the lies, the secrets, the deception from the great deceiver, as your word calls punk Satan. As we run to you tonight, would you receive all glory, all praise and honor and find us obedient, God, to be humble, to request, to call out for insight tonight. Set us free, God, as we follow and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.